following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Turn with me in your Bibles um, to James chapter 3, 13 through 18, which is on page 1012 in your pew Bibles. We're going to read from the word of the Lord. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So today I wanted to dive with you all into the book of James in search of wisdom. And what I hope we will discover together helps to clarify for us what wisdom truly is. The questions I want to try to answer are, where does it come from? How do we get it? And what does it look like when we have it? We'll be building up to this passage we just read, but James has a lot to say about wisdom. So we're going to start back at chapter 1 and see how his argument progresses as we move forward. And we'll, we'll gain some of the context of his letter as well. But first, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we need your help this morning to help us understand your word. Um, you're the only one that can uh, really know, let us know what it says. Please open up our hearts and our minds to receive it. And, um, and to put it into action, Lord. We love you and thank you for your work in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So first I want to start off kind of on the right foot to nail down what a good, solid definition of the word wisdom is. Um, So we're all on the same page when we're talking about it. So in Greek, the word that James uses is sophia. That's what uh, the Greek word wisdom is. In Monks' complete expository dictionary, he writes... It denotes the capacity to not only understand something, but also to act accordingly. And it's the latter that separates wisdom from just knowledge. Because knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Knowledge is just information. It's still important. We still need to have it. But it's possible for somebody to have a lot of knowledge without having very much wisdom. You understand? For example, like somebody could know that you're supposed to, to stop when the light turns red, but it's wisdom that actually pushes on the brakes to get you to stop. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the doing part. So I think a good working definition of wisdom that we can use right now is that wisdom is the proper application of what we know to be true and this wisdom isn't just theoretical, right? It's not just up here, but it's, it's intensely practical. It's what, 
how it actually looks like in our lives. It can be observed. So with this definition in mind, let's get back to James and uh, see what he has to say about it. Um, Some context about the book of James real quick before we get into it. Uh, He is addressing his letter uh, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Um, To Jewish Christians around the AD 50, um, who were not, if they weren't already going through difficult trials, they were about to. Because there was increasing social and economic tensions in this area of Palestine, which is just the whole area of the Holy Lands um, in this period of time is called Palestine. And so while we don't know exactly the situations that these early Christians were going through, what we do know is that they were forced to live in exile away from their homes, um, which is a difficult thing for them to deal with. And there was also a war brewing between the Jewish zealots and Rome at the time due to the land, land disputes, um, very heavy taxes, shortages in grain, um, and all these sorts of things, uh, which eventually came to a head in AD 66 with outbreaks of violence, ultimately leading to the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So no stress, James is, <laughs> this is the kind of situation that he's addressing right now. And under these con- conditions, one could imagine it's pretty hard for these new believers, new believers in Christ to live out the lives that reflected their faith in the Lord. Um, So James begins uh, in chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, James, foreseeing the trials that were ahead of these new believers, encouraged them to remain unwavering in their faith in Christ through everything that was about to test it because it was going to get real. That testing, God was going to use to complete his work in them, to continue the work of sanctification in their hearts. And growth in wisdom was a vital part of that sanctification. What does James say is the first reaction that these Jewish Christians should have when faced with situations they don't know how to deal with. Joy. And then what, is, what, is they, what are they supposed to do? Ask for wisdom, right. They pray to God and ask God for this wisdom. One example in, in Scripture of this working out, if you remember, is King Solomon in the Old Testament. Do you remember? He was also faced with a pretty intense situation. He... In 1 Kings 3, he was just anointed king over Israel, and he admitted that he felt totally overwhelmed. He didn't know what he was doing. So he wrote, And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I don't know how to go out or come in 
and your servant is in the midst of your great people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, now I do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. Now, when, when we are faced with trials of various kinds, what should our first reaction be? <laughs> it's the same thing, right? We, James instructs us to have the same reaction, to be steadfast in our faith in, in Christ and to ask God for wisdom. And he is going to be faithful in giving that to us because he promised it. James goes on to say in verse 17 that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Just like grace and faith and salvation which are all good gifts of God. Just like they're, they're free gifts from God, so also is wisdom. So where does wisdom come from? True wisdom can only be acquired from one source. It is from the immutable, unchangingly wise God. But the next question that we're going to try to answer here is how does this wisdom of God find its way from God down to our hearts. And the answer to this question, we're going to, for the answer to this question, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, where Paul is very clear in pointing out that the wisdom of God, the secret wisdom that is hidden from the world, is revealed to us through the Spirit, revealed to those who love Him. He writes, But as it is written, <clears throat> what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So thinking back to our definition of wisdom, which is uh, the practical and proper application of the, our knowledge concerning the things of God, Right? This isn't something that anyone can do without the Spirit's help. Because Paul continues on to say the natural person 
does not accept the things of the God of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So that to the natural person, that is the person without the spirit in them, the wisdom of God seems foolish because they can't understand it. But for the person to whom God has given his spirit, the wisdom of God will naturally result in both our salvation, firstly, and then, consequently, our sanctification as he works it out in our lives. He, Paul expounds on this idea in 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17 when he talks to Timothy. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Or as James had said, complete and lacking in nothing a.k.a. wisdom. So reading and studying God's word is the primary way we are to gain the necessary knowledge of the things of God. We have to know what it says, so we have to read it. But it doesn't end there. The Spirit's work in us is to help us to truly understand it and then to also help us to truly apply it to our lives through the work of sanctification. He turns what could only be head knowledge and, and interprets it into wisdom for us, which equips us to get to work in doing what he has called us to do. James agrees with Paul wholeheartedly and places emphasis on the doing aspect of wisdom. And he warns his readers not to deceive themselves by saying they have wisdom and then when they never show it. He writes in verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In these verses, James adds the element of meekness to the equation of, of wisdom, of humility. Receive with meekness the implanted word. There is no room for pride and arrogance when we're applying the word of God to our lives. If God's word is to teach us, if it's to reprove us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness, to produce in us wisdom, we must receive it with humility, right? When we see our natural self, 
in the mirror of God's word, when we're reading his word and we're seeing our own sinfulness exposed, and it's ugly, but we're too prideful to do anything about it, we're not displaying that we have wisdom. James says that faith without works is dead, and I believe he is also arguing that wisdom too, which does not humbly apply God's word, is also dead. It's not true wisdom. He instructs us to put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. All right, so now we have reached our focus text again that we read at the beginning. And James asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? It seems like he asked this question as kind of a test for, of his reader's humility and asking them to kind of accurately upset, uh, assess themselves and consequently us too as we read this. Who is wise and understanding among you? At the beginning of his letter, you remember he, he asks, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, talking to those who are humble enough to admit that they don't have enough wisdom. They're asking for more. Right, But here, when he says, who is wise and understanding among you, he's trying to get his readers to honestly evaluate themselves to think if they are wise. And then he says, by his good conduct, let him show his good works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, James is pointing out that arrogance and pride in someone's life is actually evidence that wisdom is lacking. So James gives them a measuring rod to see whether the wisdom that they claim to have is true or false. He writes, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder in every vile practice. What does James say is the litmus test for false wisdom? It's when one claims to be wise, but the conduct of their life is motivated by jealousy and selfishness. It's like they're looking inward, and that's all they care about. Jealousy is being discontented. And that leads to a resentment and covetousness of other people's possessions, their talents, their status. Selfishness is being prideful. It's a prideful concern for one's own interests without regard for God or the needs of other people or the well-being of other people. Both of these things are what would stem from a heart that's influenced by, the, by worldly things, not by the spirit that is in them. So when someone thinks they have wisdom, but these motivations are in their heart, it will naturally lead to disorder. It will naturally lead to sinful behavior, and their wisdom is false. But true wisdom, on the other hand, can be observed with its own unique markers. James writes, 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The wisdom from above, the wisdom that the Spirit produces in those who humbly submit to God's word and ask for it, is first pure, meaning it's not motivated by sinful desires like jealousy and selfishness, but by the goodness and holiness of God and our desire to emulate him. That is the motivation. And last in the list of qualities, he writes, is the word sincere. The sincerity of wisdom is being honest with ourselves and honest with other people about our condition. It's not putting on a mask of piety so that we don't look bad in front of other people. No, we need to be genuine in our relationships with one another, admitting that we all need God's help. We all need him to give us this wisdom. It's okay to confess our sins to one another. It's okay to be vulnerable and um, just point each other to Christ. But sandwiched between these two internal fruits of wisdom, the purity and the sincerity, um, are some external ones that are observable as well in our conduct towards other people. Wisdom always does and and says what leads to peace. It is peaceable. And it's not harsh. It is gentle in its demeanor when we're relating to other people. It's open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits, impartial. This part, I think James is referring back to what he said earlier in his letter. He said, be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Wisdom is being willing to patiently hear people out, to forgive when need be, and to ask for forgiveness when need be. And it's being ready to extend mercy to others regardless of who they are. Notice the last verse in the false wisdom section says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But in contrast, James writes in the true wisdom section, instead of disorder, there is peace. Instead of producing sinful behavior, we produce a harvest of righteousness. So for the Christian, true wisdom is a gift from God that we should ask for in faith. And as we grow in our knowledge of God's word, we receive this wisdom by humbly submitting to the Spirit's work in our hearts. And in us, wisdom will produce the righteousness of God as we use it to practically apply all the truths that we've learned to our lives. So, in closing, I just want to read a couple sections from the book of Proverbs, the wisdom literature. Um, 
see what Solomon says about it. In Proverbs 2, 1 through 15, Solomon writes, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul discretion will watch over you understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil men whose paths are crooked who are devious in their ways. And then in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, he writes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us and so that we can know the things of God. Thank you for your spirit that you have given to us to interpret it for us to help us understand it truly and for the Spirit's work to apply it to our lives. I pray, Lord, that we are faithful, that we're humble, to seek you always and let the wisdom that you give to us, Lord, show itself in how we conduct ourselves towards other people and the decisions that we make. May it glorify you and bring you honor and praise. May you be pleased. In your precious name we pray. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.